Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Robots Radio presents... You're listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast, the best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons & Dragons. Hello, welcome to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. My name is Sergio. And I am Mary. And we are heroes of Kryn. We are. We are absolute heroes. Uh, we are going to be talking about Dragonlance, Shadow of the Dragon Queen, yes. which uh, as of this recording, as of the time that you are likely reading or listening to this, uh, isn't going to come out for a couple more days officially. Uh, however, if you pre-ordered it on through D&D Beyond, mm-hmm. you got early access. And so, uh, of course, you know, we couldn't help ourselves. And so we did. And so we're, we're, we've been pouring over it over the past mm-hmm. week mm-hmm. or so, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. just chomping at it. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about the lore. We're going to talk about some of the uh, new races, yep. uh, some of the new subclasses, some of the new backgrounds, some of the new mechanics, some of the new creatures. Yes. And gear. There's some pretty cool gear in there, too. Yeah. We're going to talk about all that good stuff while remaining relatively spoiler free as much as possible. That is and the intention. Yeah. So that you can kind of know what you're getting into without the adventure itself being spoiled. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. What do you say? Yes. I I am so ready. I like how you said that if you if you couldn't help yourself, um, as though we didn't absolutely want it the second that we knew it was gonna exist. We chose not to help ourselves. Let's let's be honest about our addiction. Okay, fine. Fine, fine. You want to put me on blast like that? Put me out on front street, whatever. <laughs> so you know, if you're a longtime listener of the Lorecast, you know Mary and I love our very like profound and poetic openings and i love it this one starts with a humdinger it does like that was the first thing both of us were like this is amazing (laughs) the world has ended and it's ending again 300 years ago the cataclysm brought ruin to the world of kryn in a single day an age of wonders came to an end countless innocents died The face of the world was reshaped, and the gods themselves faded into legend. Through ages of struggle, the people of Kryn survived, but the world isn't what it was. Those nations that remain linger in the shadows of their ancestors' wonders. Only slowly have they begun to push back centuries of darkness and rediscover how the world has changed. Then came the dragon armies, legions of soldiers devoted to the wicked god Tachesis, the Dragon Queen, and the world faces ruin once more. The War of the Lance has begun, and in a conflict between gods and dragons, a wounded world hangs in the balance. Woo! It gives me a case of the vapors! Chills. Got chills. I got goosebumps. I got the vapors. I'm clutching imaginary pearls. It's glorious. That sort of, like, world building that drew me to D&D in the first place, Mm -hmm. and I I love it so much. And so, okay. So good. It's great. It's great. 
Okay, so it's okay. This is first and foremost an adventure, which mm-hmm. puts the puts your party smack dab in the middle of the War of the Lance, and in doing so, incorporates like some really cool mechanics for a wartime campaign that we'll get into later. Mm-hmm. And so that's the that's like the the meat and potatoes of this book is this adventure, right. and the summary of the adventure is uh is as follows. The Dragon Queen's conquest of Ancelon has begun. The eastern half of the continent has already fallen, and the Red Dragon Army has tested its forces against isolated and fractious lands. The Dragon Army now turns its attention to the west, to the land of Salamnia, a nation known as the home of knights and heroes. Now the true war begins. And so Shadow of the Dragon Queen tells the tale of the Dragon Army's first strike into Salamnia, and thrust your the group of heroes, your party, into the path of a world-altering war. So, like yes. I said, that's you know that's like pretty much the book. right in the thick of it. Right. Like, here you go. You're in the middle of some shit. You're hey, you're bye. in the middle of hey, like you know one of the most historic and fabled yes. and legendary yes. you know campaigns, battles, wars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In all of D and D lore, yep, it's awesome. It's beautiful. But however, in addition to this first level through eleventh level adventure, Shadow of the Dragon Queen also provides what Wizards of the Coast believes is enough information about Kryn as a campaign setting in general to um, to facil- uh, facilitate players being able to use it further, like beyond the adventure right. itself. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, and I, I talked about this before we started recording, it's very much on par with Rime of the Frost Maiden, okay. which came out a couple years back, which mm-hmm. was not in and of itself a campaign setting for the Ten Towns area of Faerun right. and the Forgotten Realms, but it, you know, it provided geography, it provided lore, uh, provided the kind of stuff that players could continue using, uh, so yeah. players could continue using the setting as a backdrop for more stories, for more adventures, for Absolutely. more campaigns, even after they finished the adventure that was actually contained yeah, in the book. Can confirm that one is absolutely beautifully done. I have the I have the book of that one. And I actually just finished up that campaign. The Rime of the Frost Maiden was when I just finished. And so yeah, and so like Rime of the Frost Maiden. Uh, Shadow of the Dragon Queen provides information that allows players to continue, either continue on with, you know, through 12th, 13th, 14th level, whatever right. maybe, or just, you know, do some one shots or do like mini campaigns or start over from level, you know, level one and do right. something completely different in Kryn. It's a solid, solid foundation for and what so, could be coming up. And it's, it's absolutely fantastic. So as such, there is information on the history of Kryn. Okay. So there's like, they talk about like before the cataclysm, the -hmm. cataclysm itself, and then after, obviously. So uh, before the cataclysm, which due to the utter devastation that it wrought, much of Kryn's oldest history is either lost or has slipped into shadows, slipped into shadows. Uh, Here I am uh, talking Lord of the Rings. It's an old joke. Um, (laughs) You know, they, they mentioned, you know, like slipping in shadows, like you've died. And mm-hmm. um, a coworker of my friends was talking to him about it. And he like, you know, he, them knowing he's read the books and all that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, did he slip into shadows? <laughs> you could just say <laughs> that he died. You don't have to talk like the characters of the book. Anyways, uh, has slipped into legend, rather, the, old, the older history from before the cataclysm. Right. 
And it's awesome because like there are various creation myths from the different races. And of course, each of them claims that theirs is the real one. Of oh, always. All right. And so it says, many records of the time before the cataclysm are lost to us. Those that do not serve, those that do survive are often perplexing, referencing nations and cultures that no longer exist and geography that has changed beyond recognition. I so, like, go ahead. I've, I've always liked when they set it up that way to where it's like, yeah, there was all of this wonderful history and you can refer to it if you want, but there's no record of it. So it's kind of, it just opens that up to make it however you need to shift it, adjust it to make it fit. No, exactly. I, like I mean, you I like could that so much. You could um, have some things proven true that mm -hmm. you know help help further the story and you know and and help further the 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 party's mm -hmm. role playing, or you can uh, have some things proven untrue, false, like that. Oh, that's actually just a myth. That's actually a legend, and the ramifications of that, like you know, perhaps you know uh, you have a paladin who devotes himself to this god who actually never existed. You know, what does that mean for them? Oh, that is interesting. Mm. I like, oh, I like it. And so, yeah, so geography has changed beyond recognition. If right. uh, during our Cataclysm Patron Plus installment, we talk about how like this didn't just change, you know, this wasn't um, just changing cultures. This literally changed the lands, the geographical yeah. landscape of Kryn. Yeah, like all of it. Everything. Uh, the Age of Dreams is discussed briefly, which okay. is the era that saw the founding of still existing institutions, such as the Knights of Salamnia, uh, the Mages of High Sorcery. So mm -hmm. um, let's get into those really quickly. So the Knights of Salamnia, their oath is my honor is my life. Mm -hmm. And they are the most storied knighthood on all of Ancelon. And it began over a thousand years ago, you know, you know at the time of th that this campaign, uh, that this adventure is set. Uh, during the reign of the Ergothian Empire in Western Ancelon. Okay. So a fella by the name of Venus Salamnus, head of the Ergothian Imperial Guard, was sent to Eastern Ergoth to put down a massive rebellion. And once he showed up and learned of the rebels' grievances, he actually empathized with them and joined them, marching oh. on the Ergothian capital. Yeah, so he, he got radicalized <laughs> for sure. Got there and was like, no, no, you He's guys like, have a point. I'm in. Right, Let's yeah. go. He's like, okay, okay. Like, I have the facts. I'm voting yes. Love it. The capital fell, and Venice was crowned king of a new independent nation named Salamnia in his honor. Okay. It goes on to say that he prayed to the gods for guidance, and Habakkuk, Kiri Jolith, and Paladine appeared to him, each inspiring one of the three orders of the knighthood. Knights of the Crown honor Habakkuk by uh, emphasizing loyalty and obedience. Knights of the Sword honor Kiri Jolith and dedicate themselves to being to courageous sacrifice, especially in battle. Okay. And Knights of the Rose honor Paladine and honor both wisdom and justice in keeping with that deity's sort of like portfolio. And the country of Salamnia, the nation of Salamnia, prospered under the knights until the cataclysm caused the citizens to turn against them as they believe rumors that the knights could have prevented the catastrophe. Oh. which isn't altogether untrue because as we know, Lord Soth was actually given a duty by Paladine to kill the God King of, or the God priest of Istar mm -hmm. to prevent mm -hmm. 
a cataclysm and instead went home and killed his family or killed his wife. Well, that's a that's a hell of a choice. Yeah, choices were made. Decisions were made. Uh, and then the mages of high sorcery, they are currently housed in the Tower of Wayreth, which is uh, one of the five original towers of high sorcery that were built thousands of years ago. Okay. Uh, three of them were destroyed during the cataclysm and the fourth is cursed and so completely empty so not good odds oh yeah i mean three out of four gone one of them cursed yeah one of them cursed i guess we like i guess we're all we're all bunking up in the tower of wayreth oh boy uh it also has three orders each honoring one of the moon deities order of the white robe mages are dedicated to solinari and pledged Mm -hmm. to only use magic to make the world a better place. The Order of the Red Robe Mages are dedicated to Lunatari, and while expected to use their magic responsibly, uh, you know, what exactly that means is up to the wielder. Um, And more than anything, as they are, you know, patrons of the neutral moon deity, they're expected to keep the balance between good and evil. And Order of the Black Robe Mages expectedly mm-hmm. are dedicated to Nutari, the Black Moon. Uh, they're usually feared and reviled since oh. they serve themselves first and then their order. So kind of, you know, kind of the bad boys of the group. Kinda, yeah. The Harley Jarvises of the mages of high sorcery. If you are a, I think you should leave fan. Nope, not a reference I get. <laughs> and then finally... With the Mages of High Sorcery, there is the Test of High Sorcery, which every Ooh. apprentice mage who seeks to join one of the orders must undertake and pass. Because uh, what happens if they don't pass? Well, they, they just try again, right? No, they 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 die. They usually die. Oh, well, then, yeah, you should probably pass it. Yeah, each test is tailored to the mage themselves, to the, to the mage themselves, and is designed so that failure usually means death. I like that it's on purpose. You think you pass uh, or you die. It good tests, luck. Good luck. Bye. It tests Bye. magical acumen. <laughs> it tests character as well as attempting to confuse the mage between reality and illusion. Mm-hmm. And I say usually die. It usually means death because some manage to survive a failed oh. test of high sorcery. And they, along with other mages who you know, may have been kicked out, you know, may have been caught smoking in the bathroom too many yeah. times. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're forbidden to practice magic, but some of Stop them still smoke do. Smoke magic in the bathrooms. Smoke magic sticks. Magic <laughs> in the bathrooms and get kicked out. Got it. They are forbidden to practice magic, but some of them still do, and so they're known as renegade mages, and they're usually hunted it. down by. They're usually like um, the mages of high sorcery usually appoint, mm-hmm. you know, members of their own to hunt them down and punish or kill them. Oh. You fail, you'd want to disappear and uh not be you anymore. I mean, or or I mean you could not practice magic. I mean, you could just be like, hey, yeah, I tried to do that, didn't work out for me. But if you're I'm one just, of those like, no, nah, I want that's that's my calling. I want to be a magic man. I'm just saying you really think that if you had the ability to cast magic, that you would be totally cool, just not. Right, exactly. So makes sense. Okay, so back to the history of Kryn. Right. Then we've got, so we've got the, before the cataclysm, the cataclysm itself. And then of course the third dragon, or I'm sorry, um, the age of uh, dreams, 
Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the third Dragon War, where Dekesis is defeated and thought to be banished forever. And then, of course, we have the Cataclysm itself, which, again, we covered in that Patron Plus installment. Yep. And this is a global event, forever changed the landscape of Kryn, geographically, culturally, in just about every way imaginable. It's not just one of those, like, oh, yeah, it was it was a big deal. No, no, it was the big deal. No, you, you don't yeah, get exactly. Called the cataclysm for no reason. Right. And it's during the subsequent 300 years known as the time of darkness, where faith in the pantheon of Kryn became almost non existent, as many people felt that the gods had turned their backs on them. Which eventually leads us. What's up? I said, of course. I mean, things don't go their way. Oh, the gods must have abandoned us. You know how, you know how people can be, Ugh. especially in fantasy settings. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, so this eventually leads us to the present day, as it okay. were, in Shadow of the Dragon Queen. Uh, Takesis has returned because he, you know, even though she promised never to do so, villain's gonna villain. Villain's gonna villain. And raise an army of metallic dragons, goblins, ogres, mercenaries of pretty much every single race. Oh, nice. And these monstrous draconian creatures in order to conquer Kryn. And this conflict, as we know, is known as the War of the Lance, which we covered over the past couple of episodes, and it mm-hmm. serves as the backdrop for this adventure. Mm-hmm. So that's the legend. That's like the history of Kryn that that is covered. And there's also information about languages spoken, both ordinary and frequently heard, and those that are more rare, like Draconic or even Istarian. As mm-hmm. well as more mundane information about like the calendar, the days of the week, the currency. So a bunch I of did in- like those charts for right, sure. So like a bunch of information that you would normally expect in a campaign setting. Yeah. I, I liked the way all of that was laid out. It made so much more sense with the comparisons to what we do or how you know how how we in IRL um have things laid out, organized and recognized. And since the adventure is focused within the country of Salamnia, and in particular the city of Kalaman, mm-hmm. information concerning this area's geography and peoples is included as well. It yes. says, today, long after the fall of Istar and the trials of the Cataclysm, Kalaman remains a thriving port city surrounded by tall, Istarian-built walls that have never been breached. In its busy harbor, vessels from all over Ancelon go about their business, under the light of the city's two grand beacons, pre-cataclysm marvels that have survived for generations. The city of Calamon is notably cosmopolitan, while most people in surrounding communities make their livelihood through fishing and farming. Okay. And information on the pantheon of Kryn is provided as well. Like again, typical more of a uh, campaign setting-esque book. Right. And less so of a straightforward adventure, but shadow of the dragon queen kind of straddles the line between both oh nice you know and the return of these gods kind of proves crucial to the war of the lance as a whole so it seems to be like a necessary addition right so really quickly the deities of kryn uh we got the gods of good which is paladine Brancala, habakkuk kiri jolith margir mishakal and solanari mm-hmm and you have the gods of neutrality, Gillian, Chislez, Chis, uh, Chislev, Lunatari, 
Reorks, Shinar, Sirion, and Sevillan. And the gods of evil, of course, Takesis, Chemosh, Hirukel, Morgion, Nutari, Sargonas, and Zeboim. And it's interesting to note, whereas previous editions played it coy as to the possible identities of several deities uh-huh, in other uh-huh. campaign settings. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I feel like I'm picking up what you're putting down. Specifically Paladine and Takesis. Mm-hmm. Shadow of the Dragon Queen plainly states Paladine is also known as Bahamut mm-hmm. in other campaign and other on other worlds. And Dekesis is in fact Tiamat, the evil five-headed chromatic dragon goddess. So the multiverse of it all is starting to, you know, Beautiful. we're starting to see exactly like what they're sort of starting to plan. I'm here for it. I love me a solid multiverse. Oh, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, it would make sense that these divine beings, these gods, these deities Mm -hmm. obviously can sort of, you know, traverse whether they be, you know, different planes of existence or, you know, different galaxies, whatever, maybe different planets, whatever it may be. Yeah. And that they would be worshipped on various, on various, you know, various campaign settings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In terms of species, the book explains the history of the schism between mountain dwarves and hill dwarves, as well as the differences between the elves, um, the three, uh, the four different kinds of elves, which are the Sylvanesti, the Qualanesti, the Kaganesti, and the sea elves, which I feel like they kind of got the short end of the stick as far as names go. Oh, seal. Right. Uh, Sylvanesti and Qualanesti are probably best described as sort of as different sides of the high elf coin. Right. The former, the Sylvanesti, are more traditional in its culture, while the latter, mm-hmm. the Qualanesti, are more willing to bend to modernity. Right. And obviously, sea elves live in the sea. Sea it's a good elves, place for them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the Kaganesti are essentially Kryn's wood elf equivalent. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm rather fond of wood elves. I think they're neat. I think they're, I just think they're neat. I think they're neat. They're your potatoes, which is a Simpsons reference. Forget it. There's like one person. That one. Did you really? I don't get Simpsons references for the most oh, part. Awesome. I was going to say there's like one person listening like, ah, oh, that, that's from... That's from The Simpsons. Anyway. It's my redemption arc. That's the one thing I've got. <laughs> the biggest addition in Shadow of the Dragon Queen is in uh, in terms of species is that of the Kender. So here's a little bit about their mythical origins. Mm-hmm. So during the like the beginnings of the planet, Reorks, god of craft, neutral god, indulged in an age of unfettered creation. Many people sprang from his divine forge, but not all among them remained as the god created them. Altered by unbridled magic, a group of gnomes were transformed and given almost supernatural curiosity and fearlessness. These were the first Kender. Originating on the world of Kryn, Kender are diminutive humanoids who look like humans with pointed ears and diverse appearances. Kender have a supernatural curiosity that drives them to adventure, and due to this inquisitiveness, 
many kinder find themselves falling through portals to other planes and worlds. I love them. We touched on them briefly, um, discussing Spelljammer too, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and so this little line, seeming throwaway line, you know, that because of their inquisitiveness, they can often find themselves falling through portals to other planes and worlds. Is yeah. it, that's that's your that's your go to? Like I oh we're this is a Forgotten Realms campaign. I want to play Kenders. Like oh we can't the, you can't have Kenders in Forgotten Realms. Like oh he tripped uh, and fell through a portal. According to this, he saw something <laughs> shiny. Um, actually, <laughs> exactly. You can um actually them. <laughs> that's just the one little line and there you go you can have kenders forever everywhere there i i am a little bit surprised that they originate from gnomes though as i anticipated it to be uh halfling related right oh i mean there could be could there be. could there i i'm making a theory right now that halflings originated from kinder <gasps> oh i like that idea that some kinder found themselves you know slipping into a portal to greyhawk mm-hmm. or faerun or wherever mm-hmm. it may be, and because of again unbridled magic or something else, slowly right. transformed into into halflings. They were imbued with stuff. Absolutely, I love it. So, the Kinder have advantage on saving throws to avoid mm-hmm. or end the frightened condition, which and then once per long rest, they can actually just choose to succeed on a failure. <laughs> It can, like, um, actually, like, oh, actually, actually, I didn't actually like, I'm not, I'm not scared. So not that fail. Nope. Uh, they also have a taunt bonus action, which on a failed saving throw, which is the DC is eight plus the Kenders proficiency bonus, plus either their intelligence or wisdom or charisma mm-hmm. modifier, which is you select that when you're creating the character, which one right. you want to use. Uh, it causes the target to roll attacks at disadvantage against, uh, other targets other uh, other than the kender okay until the kender's next turn so it's almost it's like a it's like a vicious mockery sort of thing so you essentially can be like hey like uh you suck and so do three guys that look like you and then if they fail that saving throw whoever you say that to rolls at disadvantage on attacks until the until the kender's next turn i love them i've never identified with someone more (laughs) <laughs> which is awesome they just come pre-built with taunt yeah and then that can be used in uh equal amount of times to the proficiency bonus every uh-huh. every long rest that's fantastic shadow of the dragon queen also continues D's trend toward uh like using backgrounds as kind of what informs your character's attributes more more so than species yeah and so there's a couple of different backgrounds uh, the Knight of Salamnia background provides skill proficiencies in athletics and survival. Mm-hmm. And also you're able to get the Squire of Salamnia feat at first level, which allows you to gain advantage on a weapon attack roll. So Ooh. it's once per turn and equal to your profi- pro- and you can do it a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus every long rest. That uh, is handy. And this is the this is the wildest part when you use it. If you say like, okay, I want to, uh, I want to use my squire of Salamnia feet and gain advantage on this weapon attack roll. Mm-hmm. It's only expended on a hit. So if you roll it advantage and still miss, like you don't just lose. If you're it. me, got it. <laughs> if you're Mary and you, ha- <laughs> and you roll twice and still can't manage to hit the, the damn thing, um... it won't count against you. 
Oh, that's beautiful. I nat one. I was rolling with advantage and got a nat one. It has happened. There is a picture of it floating around somewhere that I will post. <laughs> well, I you will would share my disgrace with the world. I'll you do it. would not expend your use. It only oh, expends on a hit. And so then also adds a D8 of damage. And additionally, uh, whereas mounting or dismounting uh, takes half of your total speed. So usually your mm -hmm. speed is about 30 feet, right? For right. most. Uh, yeah. It takes 15 feet of your of your movement speed. Uh, this feat reduces that to five feet. Oh. So handy for a knight, right? Right. Absolutely. And then the mage of high sorcery background adds proficiency to arcana and history skill checks. And then also allows the character the initiate of high sorcery feat oh. at first level, which allows the character to learn one cantrip from the wizard spell list. Okay. So any wizard cantrip they can learn and then they can learn two first level spells based on the moon that they choose you know whether it be oh, the, the, the white, red moon the, the, the right. white moon or the black moon that is fantastic and then once per long rest casting those first level spells does not expend a slot so it's like once per long rest you That's basically get solid. a free first level spell yeah That's so definitely solid i like it so for Nutari, you can choose between Dissonant Whispers, False Life, Hex, and Ray of Sickness. For Lunatari, you can choose from uh, Color Spray, Disguise Self, Featherfall, and Long Strider. Mm -hmm. And then Solinari, the two that you uh, or the the group that you can choose two from is Comprehend Languages, Detect Evil and Good, Protection from Evil and Good, and Shield. Nice. And then there are additional feats for each of these backgrounds at fourth level. And it kind of depends on the order that you choose, whether mm. you know, you're a Knight of the Rose yeah. or Knight of the Crown or. Right. You know. um, and so, yeah, so like there's a lot of uh, different, you know, you can do a lot of tweaking with your characters here. I no, I love character options. I do. I like the open-ended character options. I'm one of those people that likes to, oh, that character would be one of these things. Kind of like our draft pick. I just do that randomly, always have. And then throughout the adventure, there mm -hmm. are various like random tables, mm -hmm. depending on, you know, what your party is doing at the time. If you're trying to sneak into somewhere, you know, a random table will decide like what kind of guard, like, guard patrol there is. Yep. And in like huge battles, like in huge, like, you know, wartime battles, you'll have random tables to decide like, you know, what sort of random effect the battlefield has mm -hmm. on your like small like you know encounter and these are they are absolutely great there's some great things to end up happening here my my only suggestion mm -hmm. is that there these um like these sort of like random sort of events mm -hmm. are uh they happen at a, at a at a specific time, like in the turn order. So yeah. for me, I would like literally roll initiative every single round to determine like when these things happen, as opposed oh, to man. having them, you know, first at the, at the top of the order or at the end or right. at a specific time in the turn order. Like I would roll initiative every round 
because that's that that would be even more chaotic and more in keeping with sort of like a huge battle. It's like, you know, having right. something happen completely. And and at at the point, if you're the DM, perhaps keeping those roles secret so the party never knows exactly like know when when the battlefield is going to affect their encounter. Sergio, agent of chaos, understood. I mean, got to keep fair. them got to keep them on their toes. Absolutely. But yeah, it says during battles, uh, you know, roll each uh, roll. It says roll on the battlefield events table each round on initiative count zero. So it essentially happens, you know, as written, it's supposed to happen at the end of every round. Like I say, let's keep it interesting and mm-hmm. roll initiative every round and see where we get. That's I mean, I'd be down. But I'm always down for the chaos, too, and for mixing stuff up. Anything I can leave up to the dice and not make that decision myself, I'm going to do. There you go. So, yeah, it's perfect. Agents of chaos. Agents of chaos. And in terms of subclasses, we've got a brand new one, Lunar Sorcery, which uh, I know you're a big fan of that, Mary. I I am. What did you say earlier? Something about your... Your little My... <laughs> inner goth nerd girl. Yeah, yeah. What inner what what goth nerd girl wouldn't want to be able to do moon magic? Like, thanks. That's kind of real high up there on the list for us. It's it's <laughs> it's a pretty good get. It so, is a great get. <laughs> Lunar sorcerer is a subclass of sorcerer, obviously. Uh, that gain their magic from the moon. You know, there are three moons on Kryn, uh, essentially, and uh, a good moon, a uh, neutral moon, and an evil moon. And mm-hmm. you gain additional spells based on which one of these moons that you choose for the day to manifest your power through. Mm-hmm. So as mm-hmm. opposed to um, sort of the background where you kind of have to pick, you pick one or the other, this one, you kind of get the, uh, you kind of get the full effect. It's based yeah. on the phase of the moon, either the full moon, the crescent moon, or the new moon. Mm-hmm. And this can be changed anytime that you complete a, a, a long rest you gain access to different spells depending on which of these you choose. And also the you can cast a first level spell that's associated with your lunar embodiment that is for free. It doesn't cost you a spell slot. Which right. Free, here's a, free spells are always great. Um, Yeah. Any sorcerer down for free spells, pretty sure. And it's got like the table in there to explain what all of those are. There's just quite a few. At first level, you gain Sacred Flame. Again, does it count against the number of sorcerer cantrips? And each phase of this moon, each each phase of the moon is associated with a different with different schools of magic. So, like the new moon cool. is associated with enchantment and necromancy. Crescent moon is associated with illusion and transmutation, and full moon is associated with abjuration and divination. Um, at level six, you gain lunar boons. So when using a spell of the schools of magic that you currently have, so like whatever embodiment that you happen to choose for that day, whether it be mm-hmm. new or, or crescent or full, uh, you can reduce the number of sorcery points used by one. And you can do this a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. Uh, and that's for every long rest. Yes. And something else that you get a six level is it's called the waxing and waning. So using this as a bonus action, you can use one sorcerer point to change your lunar embodiment phase to a different one, which is pretty cool. Cause like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've played a wizard and been like, 
oh, I should have prepared that spell. Should have yep. had that one ready instead of this one, yep. which is pretty much useless. <laughs> that is exactly what it's like playing a uh, druid as well. And so that is, that's, that's huge. So you can kind of, you know, play jazz a little bit and sort of, you know, pivot when, when and if needed. So that's pretty cool. Absolutely. What else do they get? What other kind of fun, fun, fun tricks can we expect from our lunar sorcerers? (laughs) So our lunar sorcerers also at level 14th, you get further empowerment by the moon. So you begin to grow stronger and more in control of, you know, of your power. Um, So at that point, um, you gain a little bit of strength during the full moon new moon or crescent moon depending on which of your which embodiment you're using so those things get a little bit you know a little bit better uh crescent moon you'll have resistance to necrotic and radiant damage uh new moon you end up with advantage on dex checks in advantage uh or in addition sorry uh while you have while you're in entire darkness um attack rolls against you will also have disadvantage and then for the full moon, you can do a bonus action to shed bright light in a 10-foot radius and dim light for an additional 10 feet or to douse the lights. Um, also giving you and creatures of your choice would have advantage on intelligence and wisdom checks while they're within that bright light that you're, you know, that you're shedding. Nice. Very cool. So yeah, Pass- like a pretty, pretty it's fun. a pretty solid. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. this is something that I would love. I mean, obviously it's been play tested, but like, I want to, I want to, I want to play with it I myself, wanna, you know, like, yeah. like yeah, you know, I the was... toys are fun. You see like the commercials, with the kids playing with them, but you know, you want to play with them yourself. So I, I definitely mm-hmm. am, mm-hmm. would be mm-hmm. eager to, but I want, I want to, I want to do everything. So I, I need to, I, I need like a, a high level, like, you know, maybe like four session adventure. I, it really would be fun. I think for me, this would be a great one to play test doing the, I, I have a thing where I get like to play around with different classes and different levels and stuff to kind of see how they work. And I do it as like a, I call it Thundernome, just kind of an arena bracket battle to where each round you level up a level every time you complete a round against some big boss type thing. And it kind of gives you an opportunity to practice like combats and stuff like that with those. I think that might be what I use this for the next time I do it. Just to kind of give it a little, give it a little, you know, try it on. Yeah. You know, like it's one of those, like, you know, try before you buy it's worth. Yes, exactly. So even further than that, at the 18th level, uh, you get Lunar Phenomenon, which sounds phenomenal. Sounds very K-pop, to be honest. (laughs) And I'm not upset about it. Yeah. (laughs) So like once per long rest, you can use additional powers for whichever phase you're in. (laughs) Uh, if you don't do an episode entirely in that voice, um, then I don't know why we're even doing this. Uh, all right, we could uh, we could, we could work on that. Let's uh, let's make a um, let's say that uh, if we get hit five more patrons, I'll do it. There you heard it. If you are not signed up for the D and D Lorecast Patreon, mm-hmm. do so just to just to be <laughs> sure. Just to be sure that it happens, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, and we'll I'll we'll have it. uwu voice. Um, <laughs> I will I will do woo it. It will happen. Let's go. Let's do <laughs> so, it. 
for those phases. Um, the full moon, you get radiant moonlight. This causes temporary blindness to your foes. New moon, you emanate gloom, which I thought was really cool. Causes necrotic damage and reduces their movement speed to zero. And you are fully invisible until your next turn. And then the crescent moon, you develop, you get to teleport to an unoccupied space within 30 feet. But you can also take a willing creature with you. And both of you, once you're there, gain resistance to all types of damage until your next turn. Oh, nice. Very cool. All so of it's, them. It's kind of like Thunderstep, but instead mm -hmm. of it's Thunderstep has the combination of being like offensive and defensive, whereas mm -hmm. this is just completely defensive. <laughs> I like yeah. that. I like that too, because there's, there's not, I haven't run across a lot that I feel some of the defensive stuff always seems to be out of balance with the amount that you can do with the offensive, but I feel like this one's pretty well-rounded. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And all of those things can also be used once per long rest. Speaking of rest, you should probably do a short rest, go to the middle of the show, and when we get back, we can talk about the new gear and the items and some interesting creatures that we'll meet along the way. All the groovy ghoulies that you know and love. Totally groovy, man. Totally. Welcome to the middle of the show where we do some housekeeping, talk about any like news that may be out D&D-wise, and of course, head on over to the DMs Guild to see what kind of homebrew shenanigans yep. we can get into. Uh, first and foremost, we want to thank our patrons, Thank you so much for supporting the show in this way. It's because of your support that we're able to uh, grow mm -hmm. the show the way that we have and in ways that we're still looking forward to in ways that we're currently working on and are excited for the future. Uh, we have a bunch of like merchandise ideas that we're commissioning art for. Of course, there's the mm -hmm. magic item of the week. Yep. Uh, DM's Guild book that we're wanting to get done. Uh, something like, you know, tangible or oh, as tangible as like a PDF can be, I guess. Um, but, right. you know, none of that would be possible without the help of, you know, our patrons. It's true. You guys make this possible and we so deeply appreciate you. And if you are interested in supporting the show in that way, you can go to patreon.com slash D&D Lorecast. You can choose from any number of tiers that have mm -hmm. different sorts of benefits. You can get bonus content, uh, like bonus episodes, patron plus installments to, which are kind of like, you know, deeper dives into uh, the lore that we've been covering. Mm -hmm. You know, free merch, uh, free uh, work, like workshop sessions with me and Mary, yeah. bunch of cool stuff. Check it out. Uh, and then also, if you want to support the show uh, in a different way, you can go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, leave us five-star reviews. You yep. can tell a friend, tell somebody you think will be into the show, you know, the mm -hmm. old-fashioned way. Word of mouth. Yep. That works, too. Also, you could um, follow us on social media, on Twitter. We're at D&D we're Lorecast. You can email us, mm -hmm. dndlorecast at gmail.com. And we're, mm -hmm. we are constantly, we are obsessed with the robots radio discord D, &D lorecast channel mm -hmm, there's mm -hmm. not uh not a message goes by that one of us 
or both of us don't respond to. <laughs> we both jump on them. <laughs> Although that lately we've been talking a lot about food. It started off with like, what kind of snacks do you eat while playing? Mm-hmm. And then it's sort of like, you know, that devolved into, I like tamales. <laughs> it does. Well, I'm just saying, if you're going to bribe your DM, you need tamales to know, are the way to go. You need to know exactly what they want. What their weaknesses are? Yeah, oh. exactly. <laughs> Um, what else do we got? So we've got some big news. We've got some big mm-hmm. news mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. out of D and D. This was um, as of when we're recording this. This was actually published today from D and D. The headline is "Moving on from race in one D and D." Yes. And um, we'll link the article in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, they are moving on from the the term race to apply to you know humans, elves, dwarves, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, for reasons involving um, like uh, prejudicial links between real world people and the fantasy people of D and D worlds, yes. um, also just doesn't make a whole lot of sense in in some ways. Mm-hmm. And so they're switching over to the term species. The term species was chosen in close coordination with multiple outside cultural consultants, yes. and it actually goes. It start they start off using it in um, the brand new Unearth Arcana which mm-hmm. came out on uh, December 1st, which is available now. Uh, it goes into cl- the cleric uh, class as well yes. as revised species. So that's 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 the term going forward. And I know I, I couldn't be happier about I, it. Mary, how do you feel? I feel the same. I was, I was very excited to, when I saw that this morning and like instantly had to send it to you. Um, I, I very much prefer the term species to race and like I was saying to you earlier to me using the term race would indicate there are multiple races of the species of elves or the dwarven species so that it kind of actually applies more than the implications that were there before with the word race being used right because I mean it seems like you know race is like you're all like the same but yet like you know a dwarf same but there's some differences isn't the same as a human you know like and yeah like, we really don't have obviously have that issue uh right in real life you know we don't right. have you know dwarves mm-hmm. i mean aside from coffee um or or goliaths yeah. and you know aside from uh uh-huh. from uh-huh. darkwing uh-huh. but true. <laughs> uh you know we don't really have that issue but so like the term that we use in real life doesn't really can't really apply in this game yeah. so in that way yeah so like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I think it's a win. I think it's a, yeah. a really excellent move towards making um, inclusivity just so much, just making it more accessible and easier for everybody and more comfortable for everyone involved. Agreed, agreed. And of course, um, the Unearthed Arcana will link to mm-hmm. that as well Always. in the show notes. It's, mm-hmm. you know, your chance to, you know, make the next iteration of yep. Dungeons and Dragons, whether it's... Mm-hmm. Not, I don't think it's going to be called one D and D, but whether it's D and D sixth edition or five point five, <laughs> yeah, whatever it's called, you know, the best game possible. Yeah, absolutely. I think they said that the um the survey for this one goes live. I believe the twenty first of December. Yes, that if... is correct. Okay, I was safe. I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> Should be the twenty first of December. I'm intrigued though. If anybody out there uses these things, kind of what your experiences are, I'd love to hear that too and see what people's opinions are as well and also 
So if you, like maybe two months ago, they announced in celebration of the 50th anniversary of D&D in 2024, you know, the team uh, behind, in, you know, of Wizards of the Coast and the team of Lego were going to mm-hmm. get together for a collaboration. We'll, we'll finally get D&D Legos. I'm and so they invited hyped. everyone to <laughs> sort of um, post like, you know, their best ideas, you know, mm-hmm. and now they've narrowed it down to five. Mm-hmm. And I- Lego have, ideas so we can vote on them. Yeah, we have a little less than two weeks to vote on them. And then, then we can look forward to buying whoever wins, whatever set wins next year. Yep. I'm... And, oh my God, they're so cool. They're, okay, they're so, so good. <laughs> so there is the, uh, there is the Dragon's Keep Journey's End, which um, is like this like sort of like tower with a dragon wrapped around it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's fantasy from start to finish. I... I, yeah, I like that one a lot. That's it's in my top five too. Yay! There is a mimic, a transforming mimic. So mm-hmm. it literally becomes the treasure chest into the vile creature that everyone hates, <laughs> and it and actually loves. it comes with a like flipping stat block it has as this well. Little yeah, little which stat is block. pretty cool. Very Black. cute. It's cute. Uh, we've got the monster manual, which is. Um, several the different open, creatures yeah. and over like an open book. Again, very mm-hmm. cool. I like how cute the little gelatinous cube is on that though. Yeah, he's, he's got the eyes. little googly eyes. I, yeah. I have a thing for googly eyes, guys. There is a pair of them on my microphone. Like it's a thing that happens all over my house. So I'm I'm kind of leaning that way because I'm biased. And then the last two, which I, I can't decide which of these two is my favorite, <sighs> my personal favorite, and which one I'm going to vote for. They should release all five. Oh, I would I would buy them all. I would I buy would all too. five. So we, Lego, yeah. if you're listening, and I know you are. Of course you are. Just release all five and let me buy them. Just let me give you my money. Dang it. Yeah, take my money, please. So one <laughs> of them is Xanathar the Beholder. <sighs> It's the beholder in his library. You've mm-hmm. got, you know, an open book in front of him on a table. You've got a bookcase behind him. The only thing that I don't see is the goldfish. He's in that little bowl on the desk. He's absolutely there. Is he? Is it, that? I, is I that what? Mm-hmm. It, I don't know if that's what that is. I, it kind of looks like a snow globe from this photo. It does. It looks a little like a snow globe. Let's see if there's a smaller picture. Let's see. But if that is the goldfish, then by all means, like it's it's perfect. Mm-hmm. It and, it does. The bookshelf also doubles as a dice tower. By the oh, way, does it? It does. Okay, okay. I was gonna say, like, I think that the what the last option has going for it is its practicality. But now, now that I know that the bookcase in Xanathar the Beholder is the dice tower, then his desk is a storage unit for dice. That's also very cool. That's also <laughs> very cool. Very, very cool. Very added functionality. I love it. I love it. And the last one, I was going to say, like it, what has, what it has going for it, is it's its practicality. It's also a giant dice tower, but it yeah. is Tiamat, the uh, and how apropos as we're talking about Takesis and Dragonlance, Tiamat wrapped around a tower, you know five-headed dragon the mm-hmm. queen of dragons watching over you 
and it's 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 a dice tower it looks dope af i'm again i i wish i could buy all of them i hope i hope that time comes i'm not even like that big into legos but i would literally <laughs> buy every single one of these i i'm pretty fond of any of those kinds of things legos 3d puzzles like that kind of stuff love it and if i can get one i will absolutely do so i am excited about the dnd legos I am hyped. It won't matter which one is chosen. I'm absolutely going to buy it. <laughs> and the final bit of news that we got is, so we had during uh, like a big D&D sort of like news dump, uh, sort of mm -hmm. like, uh, um, you know, um, it was like, was it a convention of some sort or just like a sort of celebration of D&D? We had the 2023 uh, like book. Uh, what the fuck am I thinking of? We had the 2023 book lineup revealed. Yes. And, but it was just, you know, it was like, you know, winter 2023, spring 2023. We didn't have any surefire dates. Well, we've got mm -hmm. one now. We've got one for Keys from the Golden Vault, which is going to come out February 21st, 2023. It's an anthology book. And the description states as follows Greetings, adventurer. You snuck in and found wondrous treasure. Keys from the Golden Vault is a Dungeons and Dragons adventure anthology with a heist at the center of every tale. Nothing else is yet known about what, you know, how if the adventures go from level one to level whatever, or right. you know, whatever it may be. Or if we're looking at another um, Radiant Citadel situation. Right. That's kind of like it's it's an antho adventure anthology, but it's also uh, a bit of a campaign setting. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I'm excited. I am a sucker for a solid heist. I really am. It's going to be fun. The adventure anthologies are great because like those are perfect one shot fodder. Mm -hmm. You know, whether mm -hmm. you just want to like get together and play, yep. you know, a, an adventure in a session or two, mm -hmm. or right. if, like, you know, and I know this happens a lot in my ongoing game, you know, one or two of us aren't able to make it, but we still want to mm -hmm. play, you know, yep. during our regular session time. And so we'll throw together, you know, one of these adventures and, and do that. And it's a lot of fun. Oh, I love it. I like using them as buffers in um, actual campaigns as well. Kind no, yeah, exactly. You could just padding them in. things out a little bit, just kind of throw it in there like that. I, yeah, I'm real fond of the adventure anthologies too, for sure. And so let's go on over to the Dungeon Masters Guild. <gasps> this one was literally just released today. It comes from KB Presents. Keith Baker mm -hmm. Presents. Keith Baker, of course, is the creator of Eberron. And what else would this be but a brand new 5e book by I'm Keith so Baker cool. and others called Chronicles of Eberron. Yes. Now, we've got the uh, Eberron. The Wayfinder's Guide. We've got the official source book, Eberron mm -hmm. Rising from the Last War. That's what it is. We've got the Wayfinder's Guide. We've got mm -hmm. Exploring mm -hmm. Eberron. And now we've got Chronicles of Eberron. So it contains lore and new options for players and dungeon masters alike. Uh, different subclasses, different, uh, different classes in general. Chronicles of Eberron provides bright god and uh, guidance used for any Eberron campaign. It's I mean, it like it looks fantastic. Like I said, it just came out today, so I haven't yes. had a chance to look at it. Beautiful. But it, I mean, it's 
nothing, nothing short. I, I can't imagine it's anything short of the quality right. that we've been accustomed to when it comes to the, this sort of content. Oh, it very much looks like it is. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you can get a hardcover copy of it in addition to the PDF. The PDF is going to be twenty seven ninety five. Right. I mean, it's essentially, it's 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 pricier than what we usually recommend, but this is essentially a like an official D and D book. You know, right. if if not in content, then definitely in quality. Right. You can get the. They do actually offer the bundle, and the uh, hardcover standard bundle is not a bad price. No, yeah, the 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 standard the color, mm-hmm. the standard color hardcover plus the PDF, yeah, it's yeah. just it's forty nine ninety five, which is that's, pretty much exactly what you would pay a, for, yeah. uh, you know, for a new, for a brand new book, for a brand new D and D book. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I I can't wait to dig into it. Eberron's always been uh, a favorite of mine, just like I, the yeah. the whole aesthetic of it. I, I I really do love. Same, I'm very much of the same mind. It's pretty pretty solid book too over 200 pages of stuff and not skimpy from what i'm looking at it looks great well let's go ahead and finish up our uh shadow of the dragon queen talk what do you say i'm ready Welcome back to the show. I mean, you have been chomping at the bit this entire time to talk about <laughs> the this new gear, these new items. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. That's one familiar. thing in particular, like in your notes, you have several exclamation points. <laughs> I knew you were gonna. Yeah. So let's yeah. let's let, let's let's dive right into it, Mary. Let's 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 right scratch that itch. We will. I. My first thing that I like to go and look at on New Book Day is the gear, the items, creatures, and then the NPCs and stuff in there. Like, what kind of stuff can you give me that's going to inspire me to throw more stuff together and do crazy things and torture my players? Of course, like every DM does. So several new items and gear. Um, They have this cute little backpack communication thing called a Fargab, which I thought was pretty cute. These things um, come in pairs and it has its serial number like scratched into it so you can talk to the other one. It's just like a constant line of communication, but only up to about 30 feet away. Um, They have the Hupak, which is the favored weapon of the Kender. It's a martial weapon pointed at one end with a sling on the other end. Um, (laughs) Speaking of them, I did run across their little random table of pre- thought up taunts while I was reading oh, earlier. Oh right, today. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I am a I love it. I love random tables to make things easier for me. Like I'm in. I can roll for it and not choose. Perfect. Right. <laughs> um and they also had the Nary Crash, which when I read about it, my brain went into like transatlantic um <laughs> kind of commercial voice. I was reading about it and I kept making myself good but so it's like an easily portable backpack size device contains a balloon based parachute uh, once you deploy it you can descend 60 feet per round and take no fall damage none as you approach your landing spot nice. you're about 10 feet up from hitting the ground then you've got a roll uh it's just a single d20 anything over a five you continue to float down no problem under a five, you're going to take the fall damage for 
what one story worth a 10 feet worth so not not too bad now this little thing is what got me excited there are gnome made siege weapons i probably you, descended from a gnome you you are you're very gnome like <laughs> in many ways <laughs> i'm okay with this i am okay with this they had two of them listed in there and they were both amazing so the first one is a thing called the boiler drag it is 100 what you're picturing it is a dragon shaped siege tank of sorts takes three actions to attack with it one to light it one to aim it and one to fire it well what happens when you fire it it's you know a siege weapon right glad you asked shoots a 60 foot cone of flames which is beautiful for making your way through a situation right it also has the ability to explode which again if you're going to i was thinking trojan horse but it's a gnome boiler drack instead you can get this thing into the city and then cause it to explode would be amazing i'm Last surprised that effort. you don't have some gnome uh, like some gnome centric pun for like a trojan horse <laughs> i'm disappointed that i don't too i'm I'm just saying you're you're losing it you're slipping i am i am i'm sorry i'll do i'll do better next time it's the last last ditch effort, right? You're in a town that's been at war for days and days on end, and this drac is brought in. You're surrounded. You're outnumbered, facing defeat. You can't afford, so you set the boiler drac to explode. This explosion rocks the ground beneath you. Massive ball of flames erupts violently as it is completely destroyed. Everything within a thirty foot radius sphere has to make that deck save in order to take half damage. Or they get the full 5d10 of fire damage if they don't. That's quite a bit of d10 right there. <laughs> that, is, that is a lot of d10. The other gnome siege weapon that I was highly excited about is the gnome flinger. And yeah, it's it's that's Again, what it's it, for. It, it, exact, it, sound, it <laughs> is exactly what it sounds like. It is exactly what it sounds yeah. like. Their their inventions are innovative. The, their naming of them, not so much. Yeah, but like, let's just say you're going to go buy something from a gnome tinker. They're like, yeah, I got a, a gnome flinger over there. You know exactly what you're getting. It's not hidden behind some clever ruse or name. That's, that's true. That's, I mean, that's, that's the, <laughs> the truth in advertising. I, 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 can, I can appreciate that. I just love it. This was actually created in conjunction with the Nary Crash. So that you could have an easy landing after they yeet you um, 60, 150, or 300 feet away with a height of 60 feet off the ground. So if you happen to hit someone or something whilst being flung through the air, um, it is going to cause some bludgeoning damage. Uh, it's like 1d6 per 10 feet of distance from the flinger, <laughs> which is glorious. So we had a few different magic items um, that came up in this as well. Dragon lances, of course. I of feel like course. I would have been doing a disservice if I didn't, if I didn't mention them to you. You know, right? Um, these are the legendary items that are. It's a renowned weapon. Uh, requires attunement. 
their creation is associated with Palestine, who we now know to be confirmed as Sergio's boy, Bahamut. Correct? Let's go back. It's Paladine. Is it Paladine? Why did, oh, wow. I love whenever things autocorrect to words that aren't what they need to be. This is much better than the other one that I had earlier. (laughs) The other one I had earlier. Palestine, so sorry, Israel. No dragon lances for you. So sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, I'm gonna go home now. We're good here. Uh, <laughs> anyway, they cause extra 3D6. Let's, let's take it back being... to the beginning. To the beginning of yeah. Dragonlance, because yeah. I can't fight. Let me, why don't we, why don't we fix that? How's that sound? It's A-D-I-N-E? Uh, yeah. That, okay. Why? Okay, sure. Google hates me. That's my solution there. Okay. They have a couple few different magic items that were listed in here. First one, absolutely have to mention because, I mean, it's in the name. The Dragon Lance, of course. The legendary item, of course. Uh, These renowned weapons um, require attunement. Creation is associated with Paladine, who we now know to be confirmed as Bahamut. These cause an extra 3d6 damage to a dragon and... Um, that they are used on and any dragon within 30 feet can immediately use their reaction to make a melee attack just one of them and it is dealer's choice you can pick one of them to do the thing another magic item that had me This this one's cool this one so we had something similar in Uh old spell jammer Mm-hmm. that didn't make its way into new spell jammer and that had me disappointed yeah you I and did. i were a little bit in our feelings mm-hmm. over that mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I, I think and i obviously you know lego listens to the show obviously the folks at wizards of the coast listen to the they show had to have heard it and catered to us like specifically, hey like right? mary sergio are bad here you go my bad you can have the flying citadel helm now i absolutely love the absurdity of the dwarven citadel in the previous version of Spelljammer. There was definite sadness. Yeah, because it's so absurd. And I like a little bit of silliness. (laughs) But they have that and you could totally create one and utilize it now, which made my heart happy. Um, This is again, a wondrous item requires attunement with a spellcaster. When not in use, you know, whenever they're out of the helm, out of the seat, they're out of their big comfy chair where they control everything. The Citadel just kind of remains still, just kind of hangs out wherever they've parked it. I mean, it sounds a lot like a spell jammer. It is. It sounds like a spell jammer to me, too. <laughs> However, if this helm happens to be destroyed, the Citadel loses all of its power and completely crumbles. Which could be a problem if it happened to be parked floating up in the air above the land. Right, yeah. You know, raining massive chunks of stone debris on everything below it, causing 6012 bludgeoning damage if hit. That's a lot of D12. That is so many D12. <laughs> couple other little things they had in there was the Mirror of Past Reflections, which allows the user to reflect on positive memories, things that they've you know, experienced in their life and the 
Kaganesti uh, Forest Shroud, which is a cloak that looks like autumn leaves woven together, and it gives its attuned wearer some more stealth benefits. And finally, my very favorite part are the creatures. The groovy ghoulies. They are just amazing. There were some that I found extremely interesting and had a hard time narrowing down because we don't have, you know, six, seven hours for me to wax on poetically about oh, how I mean, awesome we could. these things we, are. We could easily talk about oh, anything D&D related for, oh, for hours right. upon hours on end. That's right. This is a podcast about that. I mean that's that's why we that's why that's we started oh. the Patron Plus installments because there's oh, there's some topics too like too big to cover that's fully true. in one hour. It's true. It's true. So a couple of these guys that I thought were really neat were, of course, they discuss the different types of draconians in there, kind of gives more information on them. Uh, there are five of them listed in the literature that we have: um, the Arak, the Baz, Bozak, Kapak, and the Savak. Each of these resembles a different type of dragon that they are um i guess created in conjunction with i don't know how best to word it <laughs> yeah i mean makes sense yeah. but different types of dragons um they have death dragons which sound terrifying i mean um, they again one of these like it's, it's very gnome like in it's in it's um like uh, it's uh nomenclature it's sounds exactly mm -hmm. like what it is and it sounds mm -hmm. terrifying and mm -hmm. it is terrifying it is yeah a death dragon is an undead it's the undead skeletal remains of either a chromatic or metallic dragons um that are infused with the lingering fires of the cataclysm by some sort of foul magic that has harnessed that and thrust it into these guys their bones burn a bright violet flame uh which it also uses as a bastardized version of a breath weapon. This snuffs life out of anything that it's hitting, you know, breathes this fire on them, kills them. Then, if it's not bad enough that it's killing you, zombie dragon style, it imbues the corpses, excuse me, imbues the corpses of its victims with undeath as well. So there like it's, these... it's not enough that I'm undead. I want you to be undead mm -hmm, as well. Mm -hmm. right. As many of you cool, as cool, possible. Cool, cool, No, that's cool. Yeah, it's totally cool. These zombies also burn with that same fire and are now servants of the death dragon. So not only are you making me undead now, like you're my boss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I killed you, brought you back, and now I own you. Sounds very pleasant, I'm sure. So some of these guys have been known to retain part of their identity or much of their identity in death. The dragons have. Um, so they're kind of themselves, but they've been twisted by the cataclysm's flames that burn within them. Um, these are called greater death dragons because they're a couple different kinds. Um, they're cruel, jealously guard their treasure hordes, just as they did before they died but they also happen to create and command zombie armies purple flaming zombie armies marching towards you with the death dragon it just sounds beautiful 
beautiful or terrifying? I guess it yes. depends on what side of that conflict you're on. <laughs> it definitely would. It definitely would. Um, in addition to these guys, they discuss dragon elves, which are a dragon-like mount used by the officers of the dragon armies. Uh, these are distantly related to both chromatic and metallic dragons. Uh, they're cruel, selfish beasts motivated by food, which I can identify with that last part as I too am motivated by food. Um, they resemble dragons in their mostly in their form to a degree. Um, and while they can understand languages, they do not possess the ability to speak. Uh, they serve as mounts for chosen officers within the dragon armies, and there were two different types mentioned in the book. The dragon army dragonelle are more closely related to red dragons. They don't have a breath weapon the way that an actual dragon does, but they are inured with fire. Um, their claws and teeth flare up with embers when they're in battle and attacking. The other type are wasteland dragonelles, um, who have the closest relation to copper dragons. They're very quick, very graceful, very slim creatures. Um, and a little neat fact about these guys is that they defend their territories um, by flying high up out of reach and then spraying all their foes with acid, with literal acid rain. So there is... A few more other creatures, NPCs that are mentioned, um, Kensaldi, Fire Eyes, who leads the Red Dragon Army's offensive front in Salomnia. There are some skeletal knights that were mentioned, which I think are amazing. They, I absolutely love those dudes. Um, there is Lord Soth is mentioned as well. And the artwork of him is genuinely stunning. It is yeah. Lord awesome. Lord Soth is great. Um, and I... I covered Lord Soth during, mm -hmm. um, but really is more so his Ravenloft mm -hmm. appearances, mm -hmm. um, which may or may not be canon. I, I mean, I don't know if they were ever, I don't know that it was ever certain that they were canon before. And I don't know if I, right. I doubt they are now. Um, but that's, you know, after the cataclysm, that's like, he's essentially, he basically survived the cataclysm by mm -hmm. being, you know, sent away to his domain of dread known as right. Sithicus. There. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, he's the character itself, the everything about Soth, how he looks, you know, the character, the story. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's that's exactly. what I'm here for. It is. And like I said, if it, I would absolutely get a solid quality print of this and put it up like visually. It is gorgeous. I love it so much. Um, I mean, it I, also I can't wait you... for the local game store version alternate cover to come out so oh. i can buy that which is lord saw's like helm it's it looks amazing i have not even taken a peek at that and i will absolutely be doing that as soon oh as it's done been here. the background on my phone for several <laughs> months now that is amazing i love yeah. it so much um it also gives you the information for dragon army troops both the officers and the soldiers um i did think it was interesting that those guys are infused with dragon breath it's a uh kind of a blessing from the dragon queen and it just depends on which one of the dragon armies they're in you know it's associated with you know the red ones would have be imbued with fire etc etc um, they also had the Isterian drone, which was a neat little mantis-looking construct um, that was used to build Istar. Um, they create this strange viscous gel that was used as mortar when building the architecture that became the glory of Istar. 
they were a neat little thing. And then my very favorite thing personally in here is what I'm gonna I'm gonna end us with. Um, it is the Oncolox. This thing is monstrous. It is absolutely horrendous and horrifying and beautiful and I love it. Uh, this vicious undead creature is created from the bones of bears and other beasts. The barbed bones grind and crack, often moving in seemingly impossible ways. It is driven by territorial instinct and the urge to hunt and devour living prey. Which is just amazing to start with. I mean, that's that's quite an urge to have. It is. This thing runs on all fours, and when its prey is cornered, it rears up onto its hind legs and begins attacking and batting their their foes around with their claws, particularly delighting in knocking them into open pits of jagged bones. Okay, cool. Right. One more little thing about this guy. Um, his massive barbed rib cage cracks open like a mouth or a bear trap of sorts and snap shut around the victim. I pictured a Venus flytrap, but upside down and on its chest and made of bones instead. I mean, that's, yeah, that sounds pretty, pretty accurate. And yeah. if you look at the if you looked at him, he is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It is intense looking. Um, Picture a large, like a giant hulking beast with huge, massive claws, horned spikes of bones protruding along its massive dog-ish, bear-ish head, kind of like a more square <laughs> bear, the longer bear snoot. Yeah, yeah, sure, man bear pig. <laughs> <laughs> Has a long spike purple tongue hanging from its gaping maw, um, eyes glowing with this unnatural red light, and it's body looks like someone has stretched tight strands of muscle and sinew between these bones that are all barbed and spiked and exposed um appears to have no flesh covering that though it looks like it's been skinned <laughs> and in the center of that chest is massive rib cage bones spiked like a like a rose bush but of bone cracking and creaking as it's spreads themselves open wide only to just snap shut around you and trap you inside unless you can make that dc 18 strength save to get away from it that's that's gonna be tough to make for sure it's, i love it i love it <laughs> i mean there's there's a lot i mean this is just a taste of mm -hmm. what dragon lance shadow of this uh shadow of the dragon Absolutely. queen has to offer and you know, I just off rip. I'm I'm a huge fan of it. It looks great. I, I mean, it's yes. it's not a Dragonlance campaign setting, and it and if you're if that's what you're hoping for, if that's what you're waiting on, you will be disappointed. Mm -hmm. uh, it is very much a you know introduction to the Dragonlance world. Yes, for a lot of players that started in Five E that have Myself no experience included. with yeah they have no experience with it whatsoever mm -hmm. you know I, I i think that if 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 you're not a fan of it because it's it's not uh in keeping with you know the older stuff 
I, I think if you shift your perspective and, and appreciate it for what it is rather than, mm-hmm. you know, not for disliking it for what it's not, that yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think, I think your, I think opinions will change. I think it's a, I feel like it's a solid, it's a solid place to plant the seed is what it feels like. It feels like we're going to plant this seed here, see where it goes. And then who knows, maybe we'll get more. I feel like we'll get more um, on the location in the future. I really do. No, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I can't wait. Uh, I actually bought the deluxe version for myself that comes with the Warriors of Koran board game. Oh. So we'll actually be talking about that. We'll probably do like a little little bonus uh bonus little mini episode for our yeah. patrons to discuss That'd that but yeah so thank you so much for listening thank you for uh, allowing the dungeons and dragons lore cast to be a part of your life for this short amount of time mm-hmm. we appreciate mm-hmm. everything that uh, you do for us even if that's just listening to us each and every week that's yep. more than enough that's more than we could yeah. ask for thank you for showing up it means the absolute world to us to get to do this and share this kind of love with you guys it's pretty phenomenal yeah it's the best but we will see everyone next week my name is sergio and i'm mary fare thee well dear listener and until we meet again may all your 20s be natural thanks for listening to the dungeons and dragons Lorecast. if you've enjoyed the show please consider sharing it with a friend following us on twitter at DND Lorecast, or jumping on the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons and Dragons. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.